0: The MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan.
1: Earlier this month, it was announced that all pick-and-pay stores around the country would allow shoppers to pay with Bitcoin using the Lightning Network. The acid test for Bitcoin was whether you could buy a coffee as quickly and as cheaply as you can using a Visa or MasterCard. Well, it appears now you can. One of the bottlenecks to Bitcoin's mass adoption as a means of payment is the fact that it can process just seven transactions a second. That's way short of Visa's 24,000 transactions a second. The Lightning Network was developed to solve this problem. It allows the Bitcoin blockchain to scale up to potentially millions of transactions a second. The company that implemented the solution for pick and pay is CryptoConvert, headed by Elmo Lubowski and Carl van Weyck. One of the original founders of crypto exchange, Luno, he left that company in 2019. As you'll hear in a minute, Lubowski believes that we should stop looking at Bitcoin as an asset and rather treat it as a form of money. If that's the case, then regulators in treating all cryptos as financial products may end up over-regulating a new technology and smothering its real potential as a means of payment. If the intention is to get millions of people to adopt crypto as a way of paying bills and shopping then they will all have to go through onerous know your customer and anti-money laundering processes before being allowed to transact. And that's according to the current crypto regulations. Let's get into this. Welcome, Elmo and Carl. Good to have you both for the first time on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. Thank you so cool. much, karen Thank you. Uh, Elma, can we start with you? Th- this idea that regulators may end up smothering a new technology because in trying to provide oversight for what they see as a new and risky asset class, they may kill off the potential rollout of cryptos as a means of payment. Just expand your thinking on that.
0: First of all, I think regulators definitely needed to uh, step in in some, some form, and they've done a pretty good job of trying to understand as much as they can about this new area or whatever you want to call it, um, this new asset class. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. But um, this this new technology, actually, I think I'd call it a technology that is, has sort of become part of our financial landscape. But I think that they focus very much at too much at this point on it being a financial product or an asset. And there is obviously another use case, which is payment. And I think it was one of the Saab governors that even mentioned that you can't go into a shop and buy something with crypto or Bitcoin. And he's obviously, it's it's not quite correct. And I think they've bunched everyone together. And the regulation that they've uh, looked at introducing as a first step, and to give them the benefit of the doubt, it is just a, a first you know step in the regulatory landscape. But I think uh, hopefully they will be open to engaging so that they don't um, stifle this the, the the use case of payments which at this point it looks like they are doing.
1: Okay just to be clear with the lightning network um, people who are transacting who are doing shopping through pick and pay um, how quickly does that transaction process, um, and just compare that with Visa, because my understanding is with Visa, you, you, of course you pay, it only takes a few seconds, but that transaction is only cleared sometimes days later.
0: Mm, this is pretty much immediate and fast. I mean, I myself, just in terms of it, using it, I mean, it, it literally, it's already printing the, the till slip, um, even almost before it's actually finally off my um, Lightning wallet. I mean, it's, it's extremely fast, um, faster than credit card. And that's from personal actual experience.
1: How does one participate in this, this shopping experience? Do you have to download a particular wallet and how easy it is? Because that's one of the, the, the bottlenecks that you find with crypto adoption that there's, there's so many different wallets that they're not very easy. You make a mistake, you transfer money to the wrong address, and it can just disappear into a black hole. So how, do you, how have you solved that?
2: I could take this one maybe. So firstly, you do need a Lightning-enabled wallet. It is a, a evolution in the technology. So a normal Bitcoin wallet, unfortunately, that doesn't have Lightning, can't be used. But there's a large number of standard Lightning wallets available on, on both app stores. So you can download that quite easily. And then secondly, you do need a QR scanner, a special QR scanning app called Crypto QR. That QR scanner can read the code that is displayed at the pick-and-pay point of sale. So you kind of need two apps, but uh, what we have seen so far is that since the solution has been deployed, we have had interest from wallet developers to integrate this QR scanner straight into their Lightning-enabled wallets. So eventually what you have is just a single Lightning wallet that can scan a pick-and-pay QR, but for now you need a Lightning wallet and the crypto QR scanner app.
1: Okay, Carl, let's just stay with you. Give us a bit about your background. You were a founder of Luna, as I said in the introduction. Then you formed this this company called Crypto Convert. But what I'm really interested to hear is how you managed to get Pick and Pay to sign on to something as ambitious as, as this, accepting Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network.
2: Everybody's asking me that. Everybody's asking me, how did you convince Pick and Pay? And the reality is that Pick and Pay approached me. So it was from there, it was their initiative and they approached me because I'm, and I'll talk about myself a little bit now, but I've been working in the field of crypto payments for a very long time. As you said, I am one of the co-founders of Luno, um, but I've been working in the fintech and specifically new payment solution space my life. And the first company that I, I, I worked for was uh, Snapscan. And when we started with Snapscan, it was a very similar situation that we're in now. It was a new form of payment, mobile payments people were skeptical about it. We weren't even sure if it's fully legal. The regulations were a little bit unclear. And jumping back to today, there's so many stores and shops and restaurants accepting SnapScan. It's just a normal, run of means of payment today. My hypothesis is that it's the same situation with crypto payments, that right now it's kind of new and uncertain, and people are still uh, figuring it out, but eventually it'll just be run-of-the-mill standard way of making a payment.
1: Carl, just uh, again, a follow-up question on that. Give us some idea of the adoption rate of this system with Pick&Pay.
2: So we we deployed a, a proof-of-concept with Pick&Pay in November last year that was available at 39 Pick&Pay outlets. And we we expanded the trial to all Pick&Pay stores this month in February And since since we opened it up to all stores, we've had uh, more than three times the number of pick and pays uh, where people spend Bitcoin. So we're at about 139 pick and pays, and we see about uh, over 300 individuals that is using Bitcoin to pay, and it is growing every week. So week on week, uh, we see an increasing number of people and volume and number of transactions. So it's it's steadily growing. It's still very small but um, we're cautiously optimistic at this stage.
1: I guess the people who are adopting it are those who are already very familiar with crypto and they're very familiar with wallets and how to interact with those wallets. Is that correct, Carl?
2: I think that's a great assessment. What, I guess what we call the bleeding edge. It's even before the early adopters. It's people that are really passionate about this technology and that, that's excited about using, using it in this way. So, so it's still very much early days. And I think, as you say, it's maybe a little bit tricky still to use, but as the technology develops, it'll become easier and easier and we'll see greater and greater adoption.
1: And I guess that there would be other retail stores. They must be looking at this because this could be quite a competitive advantage for pick and pay, They first to market with this. Are others knocking on your door yet?
2: We have a lot of inbound interest, not necessarily from uh, only from retailers. So there's some um, other retailers that we are talking to. But across the board from a wide range of service providers and merchants, we've had a lot of inbound interest to add the solution to their checkout systems as well and add crypto payments for them. So there is a lot of interest uh, and I'm definitely uh, certain that we will see more places accepting crypto in in the future, in the near future.
1: Elmer, let's just return to you for a minute. And I want to talk about these regulations which were published last year, and they are coming into effect this year. It means all crypto asset service providers will have to be licensed as financial services providers. Does that include companies using cryptos as a means of payments like Crypto Convert, your company? And if so, is it practical to ask millions of people who want to make payments via the Lightning Network to go through these very onerous KYC and anti-money laundering uh, processes? Yeah, I think,
0: uh, Kieran, to, to, to just distinguish, I mean, there's actually two parts. There's, there's two regulators here. One is the FSCA, the Financial Services Conduct Authority, and the other one is the FIC, the Financial um, Intelligence Center. And the KYC and AML, you know, really uh, the anti-money laundering and, and know your clients and f- what we also know as uh, FIK people, is, is under the FIC. And But both regulators have essentially um, cast the net quite wide. And basically all crypto crypto asset, or crypto companies are, are in this net and I think it potentially becomes a little bit problematic um, especially with the FIC um, and and having to you know to, to, to know your clients and get certain details from them, especially if we, if we think about what we're trying to do at pick and pay this is essentially digital cash that people are using to buy bread and milk. I mean I for instance bought a um you know a cool drink at one of the pick and pay express stores at at, at at the BP service stations so i mean it's it's quite impractical to have to ask um you know someone buying bread and milk using essentially digital cash I mean no one's asking anyone to to show their ID or give proof of residence when they're buying you know at a, at a cafe and buying bread and milk and 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 a few things there so unfortunately at this point in time it looks like you know just just Because the regulators have classed it very widely and and classed it mainly as a financial product and not as a means of digital cash or payment, that we are in this net. And it is a concern for us as a business to to understand, you know, are we going to be able to get some kind of exemption in the space? Because essentially what we're doing is we are providing uh, we're a third party essentially we see ourselves mainly as a third party payments provider and and those you know there are many dealing with credit card transactions and and EFT type transactions which don't have to do that and we're we're essentially just providing a technology a means of a customer of pick and pay and pick and pay being able to transact with each other and buy um you know groceries and and normal everyday things. So, yeah, it does become a little bit problematic and we hope that this, this wide net that has being caused, you know, will start distinguishing between different use cases, especially the payments. Because I don't think payments has really been, um, you know, uh, considered on its own and, 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 being, uh, and regulate, uh, regulation being made a little bit more specific in that regard.
1: And have you spoken to the regulators about your concerns and are there others in the in the crypto space or in the payment space specifically who are talking to regulators and maybe just educating them that this is a different case for, for regulations?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in terms of the FSEA, they call for some information. And uh, just in terms of that, we've tried to help them understand our business in particular. We can only kind of really do that. And yeah, we are also engaging due to the pick and pay rollout we are engaging with the Saab as well and um, assume so we hope we can we can relay that message obviously it's you know it's difficult to come as a company you know to a regulator and you know we, we're trying to make it a general thing from a payment perspective but we can only really talk from our own business perspective and then it might look like we're just trying to carve something out for ourselves as a business but that's not the case you know Um, so we do need to maybe get some sort of wider support for this, but there's obviously not a lot of technologies currently doing what we're doing. So, you know, um, but if, if we, you know, if if we if this um, the technology grows, hopefully that will also allow us to to um, talk to regulators about this segment, you know, and this use case.
1: I mean, I guess the South African Reserve Bank. They would be concerned about a couple of things. One of them, cross-border transactions, because that would potentially violate the regulations that are in place that restrict that. You know, how do you measure that? And the other thing is the national payments uh, system, where they, they like to keep a track on all transactions that are going on, because that's very important for just monitoring and counting the size of the economy. Are you able to offer them any help on that and how they could overcome that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think we would be necessarily concerned about cross-border um, at this point. If we implement our solution, it would be in a country on its own within their monetary system. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, from a we are engaging with the um, Payments Association of South Africa, so that we, you know, it can get um, within their framework, so that we can give them information about what we're doing. So yeah, they, and they are very keen to work with us in any event, and they just also need to understand how this all works and and we'll be working with them to provide them any information they need from the national payments perspective so that they have the information that they need.
1: Elmer, just a a follow-on on on that. Bitcoin and cryptos have become firmly identified in the public eyes as an asset and you challenged that in the beginning. You said maybe we need to redefine that and I think this is It's an interesting subject, and I don't know how far it will go, but do you see Bitcoin really taking off as a means of money? For that to happen, uh, there's a few things I see that would need to occur. One, more and more people, you know, maybe demand to be paid in Bitcoin rather than fiat. I guess that's the main point. But do you see this as as a possibility where people start to treat Bitcoin as money rather than as a speculative asset?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that is growing. I mean, there are people that also get, you know, the people that get their salaries paid in, in Bitcoin and perhaps other cryptos and and are using it as a form of payments. I think in South Africa, I think surprisingly one can go quite far with just using Bitcoin in terms of a payment mechanism. And it obviously has grown with the, the growth of the technology, especially now, you know, making lightning payments as well so as the technology grows definitely the adoption will definitely grow and I think more and more um, people are would be thinking about using it as a form of money and I think we just need to be um, and and, you know we're happy to to be part of that is is to properly engage with regulators because I think there's actually not a lot of risk uh, especially in what we're trying to do basically make it accessible to everyone be able to pay for everyday things with bitcoin and i think that will you know there's there, there's very low risk in my view and you know for retailers for instance i think it it has a lot of advantage it's it's digital cash but it's much more secure so I mean, if you think about all you know the heists and robberies that take place of cash and transits you know this is a, a form of digital cash it's much safer and there's a lot of cash handling uh, issues that are resolved here so for retailers i think it makes a lot of sense and yeah, and I think as as that goes, there will be definitely more adoption, especially if it comes from the retailer side, as it did in this case. You know, so if more retailers are interested in accepting it for whatever reason, I think it will grow.
1: Carl, I'll just turn to you for a minute. One of the issues, I guess, people would be interested to hear about is the cost of this. How does it compare cost wise to transact at pick and pay compared to, say, a Visa card?
2: Well, um, obviously. PecanPay, being a large retailer, as, as, uh, is able to negotiate quite strongly to keep the cost low. And so our discussions with them has been around comparative rates to cards and not necessarily even credit cards, because credit, credit cards are much higher than, a, for example, a debit card. So we are trying to come in at a price point below even debit cards. And possibly even below cash, because as uh, Alba said, cash has its own risks and, and cash handling fees and stuff. So I think if we just talk about costs in this specific project, it compares very favorably to other payment solutions. And then uh, if we can bring this to the general market, we will try to also introduce competitive pricing that would be below what uh, what's currently being paid with other other forms of payment.
1: Yeah, if you look at the surveys on countries with strong crypto adoption, they tend to be those countries with weak domestic currencies. I'm thinking here of, of uh, Nigeria, Venezuela, Argentina, Lebanon, and including South Africa. You know, if you look at the what happened to the RAND over the last year, 37% swing from peak to trough. That's quite a serious risk for anybody holding RANDs. Regulators are clearly concerned about that, especially in countries like Nigeria and Venezuela, where people have learned to distrust their central banks. And my question to you, Carl, has this horse bolted? It it seems no matter what regulators have done to stamp on Bitcoin, it survives and grows. In other words, are we entering the age of private monies like Bitcoin?
2: Well, uh, Kieran, there's a lot to unpack in this question. But firstly, I'd just like to say that South Africa is not Nigeria. We're not Venezuela Argentina or Lebanon. And I think it's um unfair to kind of lump us together with those countries that have very different economic policies and outlooks that that we have so okay, another thing that you mentioned is the volatility of the rand um but if you look in a in a global sense, inflation is is hitting everyone on so and especially emerging markets. I don't know if it's fair to to make a comparison of the rand's depreciation to to like a Venezuelan hyperinflation scenario you also talk about distrusting central banks and i mean everyone is uh can is welcome to differ from me but i don't see that our central bank has made the same kind of um moves that has caused people to distrust the banks in for example in nigeria whereas i think in locally in south africa the bank has always the reserve bank has always taken measured approaches to things and when they speak it's been responsible things that they've said. So, I don't compare South Africa to these countries in that sense. If you do talk about, um, yeah,
1: yeah, I'm not comparing South Africa to Nigeria and Venezuela. I think our central bank is, is is in a different league completely. And I think we're in agreement on that. But I think what South Africans are concerned about is is the volatility of the RAND. I mean, people point to the volatility of of, of Bitcoin, but I, I think people are beginning to realize that uh, there's there's risks in on both sides, both in fiat and in in crypto.
2: That is a fantastic point that you make, and at, at the end of the day, it comes down to how well you can quantify and understand that risk on both sides of the argument. So that's what I would answer to your question on whether we are entering an age of private monies like Bitcoin. I don't think so. I know a lot of bitcoiners will be unhappy with me saying that, but my view is that we will always have government money, and then Bitcoin will be something that will be an option or that uh, that offers choice to some people f- that understand the specific risks and pros and cons that come with bitcoin. So I don't think it will ever be like uh, it will ever replace government fiat. Um, I think it will always live alongside of it.
1: Carl, give us a sense of what the future holds for companies like Crypto Convert. For making payments using cryptos more accessible to get mass adoption, what's it gonna do for commerce, the costs of shopping, the security of money? Give us your vision of the future for the company.
2: Well, Kieran, it really depends on you and the public and how they engage with the solution. That's what we've seen up to this point, is that there's been certain narratives and the narrative is driven by how people engage with the technology. And as we've said in this talk so far, mostly people have been engaging with it as an asset or a risky asset speculative instrument. And this is why we are doing what we are doing. We're offering the tools and ability for merchants to accept this as a means of payment. So it's just that classic chicken and egg problem. Like why should, we would spend crypto if there's nowhere to spend it. So we are working on this problem of where you can spend it. We're we'll trying to make it easy for you to spend your crypto and then we'll see an adoption on uh, on the supply side of people that want to spend it. That's my vision for the future, is that we'll um, expand into the market. We'll um, try to position ourselves as a leader um, in crypto payments, both locally and maybe, maybe in some of uh, um, our neighboring countries. And um, like I said, all this does is it offers you a choice and it's up to you. What the future looks like.
1: I'm interested to hear about uh, XRP. Did you not consider that? That is being used as a means of payment, uh, XRP being a a crypto token. Um, Why you settled on Bitcoin via the Lightning Network?
2: Okay, so now we're getting into into the weeds, into the technical details a little bit. Okay, so there's there's broadly two reasons. So the first reason is that um, based on prior experience, we decided that we're going to use a solution that is actually not blockchain-based. So I know We're talking about Bitcoin, but the Lightning Network is what they call off-chain. It's a rooted system where transactions don't actually appear on the blockchain at all. And there's significant speed and cost advantages to that. So firstly, we're speaking to um, off-chain technologies. And then secondly, what Lightning also uh, introduces is a lot of control when it comes to the transaction to the merchant for example, um, once a payment has been made, a merchant has an option to cancel or settle the payment. And that's that's really powerful because refunds and returning funds is a big problem when it comes to payments. That's one other advantage. And then there's several others that, um, that we considered where, where Lightning was a much better use case than any of the other technologies that we yeah. evaluated.
1: Uh, my understanding is that the Lightning Network does interact with the blockchain. You know, when you close off uh, a transaction, basically, it's it's a peer-to-peer network sitting on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. But when you close off that, that layer, if you like, um, you then do settle it through the blockchain. Am I misunderstanding that?
2: You do. So, no, you're absolutely correct. So. There's two transactions that do end up on the blockchain, but those two transactions can aggregate tens of thousands of smaller transactions. So to give you an idea of our own technology, um, our own node, so we have, um, like you, we can talk about channels if you want to, but we have um, liquidity uh, that was established when we started the service over a year ago, and we haven't needed to ever submit that second transaction to the network yet. So so our channels have been open for over a year, um, based on one Bitcoin transaction, and they've rooted thousands of smaller transactions. And that's where that gain in uh, speed and cost comes from.
1: Oh, fascinating. Okay, just to wrap up here quickly, Elmo, uh, retailers in South Africa, are they looking at crypto seriously? Or are they still kind of sitting on the sidelines?
0: No, I think they're starting to look at it seriously. And especially now, and I think especially from what our, what Crypto Convert has done with uh, the second largest retail in South Africa, and um, people are starting to notice it. And uh, retailers are also starting to say, well, we don't want to miss out on a form of payment that some people want to make and, and purchase goods uh, and services in. So, uh, and, you know, we've had, uh, Carl did mention Previously, as well, we you know we've had various different types of inquiries from various types of merchants and and businesses that want to look at online and physical accepting of payments uh, of this of this sort. So I, th- I think I think it's definitely growing, but again, it it, it depends on um, yeah it will always depend on demand. But I think I think eventually it will be, and I think we definitely want to. And and one of the reasons I got involved. In this project is because I don't, and you know I still see myself as very much of a novice, if I can call it, in the crypto space. My expertise line in uh, have have developed in the crypto regulatory space, which is different to understanding the technology to a deep, deep level. But I definitely, you know, my personal view has been that if you don't have it as a as as a form of payment as well, then you're sitting on an asset that you know you end up having to. Convert into normal fiat again, if you can't spend it. So I think it's important, and I think people are starting, and and people are starting to realize that, including retailers, and 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 you know, you're gonna have to basically have it as an option. We don't think it's ever gonna replace the current, you know, the current available options. But I think it, it's about choice and flexibility, and and I think that flexibility and choice, everyone wants to eventually be there. So I, I think it'll definitely grow.
1: Carl, last question for you: Where do people download this uh, wallet the crypto convert wallet
2: if you're on android you'll go to the android play store or google play store if you are on ios you will go to the apple app store Um, and assuming you have a lightning wallet installed i can recommend moon m-u-u-n i really um, like that one if you've got your lightning wallet installed then you'll need our app called crypto qr it's a single term crypto qr no spaces also on the app store and the play store
1: Okay, so you're going to have to download two wallets. One is, uh, you recommend Moon, M-U-U-N.
2: And the other one is the QR scanner that can detect, um, that the, can read the pick-and-pay QR. Uh, and then also to mention just uh, the way that you would um, do this at the, at the checkout is you select contactless QR as a payment option. You don't have to ask for Bitcoin. You can just contactless QR.
1: There's a little bit of learning that's got to be done with this, but uh, it's worth it because the costs are low and and I guess this is going to be the future. You know, we're going to see a lot more of this, you know, through retailers across the country and across the world. And uh, for me, I, I think what I'm seeing is quite a fascinating use case that people were expected. We've been hearing about this for a long time, but it's now beginning to happen. And um, I want to thank you both for coming on to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast and sharing your thoughts with us.
0: Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.